0: and you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash SlashFilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to SlashFilm Daily for Wednesday, August 25th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about the third episode of Marvel's What If. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm a senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by SlashFilm senior writer and weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me, Brad. So uh, Peter is on vacation. So you're stuck with me to talk about the latest Marvel show, Uh, I think, for this week and maybe next week, too. I'm not sure when Peter comes back. In any case, let's dive into what if the world lost its uh, mightiest heroes, which is the name of this new episode. Uh, This is the third and final question mark episode that you guys were given ahead of time. So I know that you watched this you know, a little while ago, and then you just rewatched it to, uh, to sort of refresh for this episode. But um, what did you think about this episode? Yeah. um, This episode
1: was uh, fun just because of how it played with so many different Marvel movies. And it created this uh, murder mystery that ran through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, So it was uh, interesting in that it was intriguing to watch and figure out exactly what was going on and seeing who was behind uh, essentially murdering uh, all the Avengers before they could become the Avengers, and not not necessarily all the Avengers, but most of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so th- that was pretty cool. But like at the same time, again, you know, like I I find myself still being frustrated by the same problems that I was in the first two episodes with some of the uh, clunky voice acting and rush storytelling and uh, just little details like that, which you could say is nitpicking, sure. But like if it's taking me out of the sh- the show, then it's probably you know, a bigger problem than you might otherwise think.
0: Yeah, I want to get into some of those specific complaints a little bit later on, just uh, broadly, uh, you know, up here at the top of the episode. I also enjoyed this episode. I I really, I mean, I'm a, I'm a sucker for murder mystery stories in general. So I really appreciated that aspect of it. I thought it sort of lived up to the premise of what this show promises, which is like, you know, a lot of, um, you know, just fun, wild stuff that you would never actually see in a, an MCU movie. Uh, and And something that clearly like, You know, takes the has like massive repercussions on this particular universe. Like the Avengers, as we know it, do not exist in this universe because they're they're being picked off one by one here. So I I really appreciated that. Um, you know, just because this is my first time talking about the show. I was not a, a really a big fan of the first episode i like the second episode a lot more because it took that big swing and, and had that similar feeling of like oh wow this is actually showing you know the real possibilities the the expansive possibilities of what we can do here um oh uh, i forgot the feedback section but since we were talking about the that previous episode which was called uh, what if T'Challa was a Star-Lord? Um, somebody wrote in to us real quick, so I just wanted to read their email. Uh, Jeremy from Virginia said, I'm surprised nobody talked about the other effect this timeline had on uh, on Thanos shown in this episode. When fighting at nowhere, a single electrical shock from Proxima Midnight knocked him out. This can't be the same Thanos that Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America couldn't defeat, let alone uh, incapacitate in Endgame even before he reacquired the Infinity Stones. And then Jeremy says, P.S., I'm sending this tongue in cheek. I know this is more of an alteration of convenience in a cartoon, but I did think it was worth noting. So uh, I went back and and watched that uh, fight scene just to see what Jeremy was talking about. And it doesn't look like Thanos was taken out with an electrical shock, but I understand the spirit of his comment here. He was like pretty, uh, you know, it it seemed like in the real MCU, the live action version as we know it, the, the version of Thanos there would have easily been able to take out his own henchmen in a in a physical <laughs> fight without any sort of problem. Uh, and this I, animated one... You know,
1: I, I'm not necessarily entirely convinced of that. But, really? Yeah, if only because you see how much of a hard time the Avengers have fighting the, uh, the Black Order. And so I would have to imagine that they themselves then are probably stronger than the Avengers and would probably give Thanos a little bit more of a run for his money.
0: I, I always read it as like um Thanos was was the you know the super like end boss uh, at the end of the video game and these guys were tough and the fact that the Avengers were having tr- trouble with them was really meant as a shorthand to indicate how powerful thanos really was but maybe you're right yeah i
1: said i don't think necessarily that they would have quite as easy a time uh you know keeping him at bay as they do in this episode but um i I do think that the thought, thought process is interesting that since he hasn't necessarily been maybe being as villainous and as dedicated to his cause that maybe he's not quite as strong as he was you know in the movies
0: yeah. So that, that was the only, um, email we had, uh, about feedback from the last episode. If you guys want to send us, uh, comments or, or any sort of feedback, you can do that at peter at slash film.com, send us an email and, and maybe we'll read on the, the next episode the next, uh, recap episode we do for the show. Um, but, uh, yeah, Brad, you know, there's something about the show that just feels a little disposable to me. And I'm not sure if you have had the opportunity to see any further into this series or not. Have you?
1: No, I'm supposed to see the fourth episode uh, sometime before it happens, or I think they're screening that for press as well. I haven't seen it yet. Um, but I agree with you so far, even though I do think, uh, and Peter and I have talked about this on the previous episodes, that there are some threads being set up here to create a series that is a little more interconnected and has storylines that overlap, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to being a strict anthology series that keeps things separate. Um So I think that this might be something that starts to manifest itself as the series goes on and it'll start to feel less disposable. But even when that happens, like it's the quality, you know, and the the caliber of storytelling that's kind of still making me be like, okay, this is like kind of fun to explore. But like I'm not necessarily super invested in it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel. It's like I you know, there are moments of it where I'm sort of dazzled by the visuals and where it looks like, um, you know, concept art comes to life. You know, we always talk about like, uh, in in American animation, anyway, it seems like over the past several years, we've said, you know, a few times, like, man, I really wish that um, sometimes the studios will release these like making of books with, with all sorts of gorgeous concept art from different animated movies. And uh, with the exception of like, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I can't think of an animated film in the past 5 years that has looked as great as <laughs> as the the concept art has for its own stuff, but like a studio will will very rarely commit to creating a full, you know, piece of content in that style, and this show feels like the closest thing to me of uh, a studio or a, a company being like, okay, let's, you know, let's do something it, it's still pretty conventional I'm not saying it's like some sort of avant-garde piece of of, of animation but um you know the backgrounds and the shading and the the uh, textures and the shapes and the uh, geography of everything um, the, or the geometry rather not the geography uh just kind of yeah it, it looks like something you would find in one of those concept art of books so I, I appreciate the show on that that level I'm just having a little bit of trouble. Um, you know, caring about it, frankly, as much as I do some of the other Marvel stuff. But uh, let's get into the meat of the episode, Brad. So the, it's sort of broken out into several sections, um, which sort of take us through this whirlwind week that that happened. Uh, I think this is actually canon in the real mcu right that like all of these events of iron man 2 black i'm sorry uh thor the first thor Thor movie and the incredible hulk all take place in the same week isn't that correct
1: yeah i had actually forgotten about that until this episode came around i was like oh yeah all that stuff did happen in close proximity to each other and had like little references to, to each movie when they they happened
0: yeah so uh you know i don't think we need to go through it necessarily like uh, on a granular level the show didn't especially this episode didn't really strike me as like doing anything that was um, you know super uh, uh, I don't know like relevant to the the larger story like you were mentioning that you, you and Peter had spoken about some of those threads that maybe um, were weaved into the show that could come back like I could see how the first and second episodes, seemed to be doing that, but this one seemed the most self-contained of all the episodes, which which I appreciate on one hand because it's kind of like more of the anthology kind of uh, experience that I sort of thought we were going to get with the show, but if that isn't the case for the entire season, then I'm kind of, not annoyed, but a little um, confused about why there would be, in, in a 10-episode season, why you would have anything that doesn't really connect and who knows, maybe I'll be surprised and this particular universe will come back in um, and, and play a bigger factor in whatever sort of larger story they're trying to tell. But did it seem that way to you that this was, um, this was not really connected to the version of the, the universe or one of the multiverse uh, portals that we saw that included you know, Ego and Peter Quill and the last one or T'Challa and, and Black Panther and all of that kind of stuff?
1: Um, at least for now, potentially, because I think I can see some narrative threads there. Um, but I do think that there's the potential for there still to be like crossover from this, especially because they leave these dangling threads, you know, um, we have Loki taking over, you know, uh, as a thing that and, en- you know, ends up not being, resolved and maybe likely a setup for something that comes either in a later episode or potentially uh, a second season. And we also have this, you know, idea that with all the Avengers gone, Nick Fury is now left to call Captain Marvel back earlier than she was in the MCU. And then now also likely unfreeze Steve Rogers, who seems to be uh, still under the ice. Uh, Mm. So I think there's a chance that that could connect to other threads. Um, I... Because, because the one thing that I'm wondering is, in the first episode, at the very end of that episode, Captain Carter, she, uh, you know, travels through with the uh, the Cosmic Cube, the Tesseract, and mm-hmm. she ends up in essentially what would be the timeline when the Avengers were to assemble in 2012. So I wonder if, like, that part could essentially, could possibly be connected to the these events, maybe? And, like, just Captain Carter hasn't been mentioned yet, because um, it, it would be kind of cool if we were able to see Captain Carter and Captain America fighting together. Um, but a- again, you know, I, I I keep thinking what they're going to do as far as like when they do the new assembly of Avengers that have been teased in the, the trailer and how that's going to come together, if it's going to be its own contained thing, or if it's going to be like a crossover thing that brings several episodes together. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, so like, I, I do think that uh, on the surface, this stands alone, but I think that there's the potential for it to connect to other things.
0: Okay. So, um, you know, we see the the Iron Man 2 uh, area where Tony hangs out at, I think it's called Randy's Donuts, where he's inside the giant donut, and then he's like... <laughs> pretty quickly murdered uh, by who we think is Black Widow here. Sort of an accidental murder situation. She's clearly been framed. Um, what do you think about Black Widow in this episode? Because she sort of plays a, a major role in like, I don't know, the first half or something. And then is, is sort of dispatched, uh, you know, a little bit later on. But um, I think Lake Bell provides her voice. Is that correct? Yeah. That's yeah. And she did a really um, good job too. Yeah. So there are several characters that like Robert Downey Jr. I don't think... Yeah, he's he's not back in this episode and um there are a few others that well, William, non- William
1: Hurt did not reprise his role. Yes, that yes, was thank you. a terrible substitute. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um but
1: yeah. but yeah, no, I I I uh, I like what they did with Black Widow here because they kind of made her a little more integral to uh, this earlier part of the the MCU. Obviously she debuts in Iron Man 2. Um, but she doesn't have, uh, you know, a key part in Incredible Hulk. So that was cool to kind of see that happen, especially since it gives us part of that Incredible Hulk, uh, story with Mark Ruffalo instead of Ed Norton, since Ed, yeah. Ed Norton played that out, in, you know, in that sequence.
0: I was surprised to see the character pop out of that closet with, um, uh, Mark Ruffalo's, um, you know, likeness instead of Ed Norton's. Cause yeah. just cause I'm so familiar with him in that sort of setting and imagery, um, that it was like a little, uh. Uh, yeah, I was surprised. Like, whoa, okay, all right, they're they're doing this. And it really is a, you know, a, a different universe here. Um, yeah, the you know, I, I there's a little action scene where Black Widow like takes out a bunch of guys in a van. I wasn't you know, like crazy I, about that.
1: Yeah, and like so, there's there's times when the action in this show is outstanding. It looks crisp. It's fast. They do um a lot of cool you know superhero combat. But then there's times where like it borders on being too cartoony like there's sometimes during this fight with black widow where she's doing like way too quick hand to hand stuff. Like she's doing cartoon punches. Um, And there's a similar thing happens with uh, Nick Fury's uh, fight sequence later towards the end of the episode where I'm just like, I don't like this guys. Um, So, so yeah, it's sometimes it's great. Other times it's like, no, this isn't a Saturday morning cartoon, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I appreciate that like Natasha, this version of Natasha seems to be, maybe a little bit more, um, I don't know, wry or like willing to make a joke or something than the Scarlett Johansson version, uh, which sort of leans into the idea of this being again, like a a different universe. Um, so I appreciate those little subtle things, but, uh, yeah, that, that action scene didn't really, you know, on on paper, I'm sure it's fine, but like, yeah, in the execution, there's just something about it that feels, um, you know, it feels more like a, a directed to DVD Marvel movie or something or Marvel, you know, uh, project than what I expect from something that is like canonical within the MCU. Yeah. Um, so then we, you know, head over to like the, the Thor storyline where, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye ends up shooting Thor before he was evil, even able to, to grab, uh, Mjolnir, which, what did you think about that, uh, sort of plot line here? Yeah, that was one of the more surprising uh, parts, I think, just because
1: it really built up the mystery. So how does something like that, you know, even happen? Um, You know, because like the death of Tony Stark, it's like, oh, anyone could have contaminated that, you know, thing. But like, okay, so how did Hawkeye accidentally shoot Thor? Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, so, uh, and I like the jokes, you know, that they crack, you know, at both Thor and Chris Hemsworth's expense. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, yeah, this was, I just, I, I liked how they, you know, the the cool thing about the series was always going to be how they, you know, would flip specific moments and and characters and and plot devices on their head uh for this series and, you know, remix them. And so it it was cool to revisit these scenes, you know, almost like a like a Marvel greatest hits kind of thing and then, you know, just having that what if spin put on them.
0: Yeah, especially since we have a lot more familiarity with Hawkeye now because I remember like when Thor came out in 2010, I think it was. His appearance in Thor, where he's just up in that little bird's nest thing, I, I was kind of like, that's it? Like, it was basically a glorified cameo, and I'm kind of like, oh, great. Okay, there's a guy with a bow and arrow, and like, you know, you-, you sort of have come to know and understand a little bit more of his backstory and stuff. So it- that scene, I think, plays a little bit differently, uh, you know, with all this this extra knowledge that we have about um, about Hawkeye than it did, you know, in theaters originally, so... Um, yeah, I, I, I liked the Betty Ross stuff. I, I wish that, uh, Liv Tyler was able to come back and, and provide her voice. Although I think that was technically like a universal movie at the time or universal released that movie. So maybe there was some, some rights issues or some sort of contractual stuff there where they, maybe they just wanted to sort of wash their hands of the, the creative team, largely wash their hands of the creative team of that movie, um, and not really <laughs> worry about bringing them back, um, let's see let's see what else uh okay so so loki shows up right with with this entire army outside of uh the new mexico facility where thor's hammer is and I, I think my one of my least favorite aspects of of this episode is the way that uh it cuts back and forth between you know the the sort of battling and and um uh negotiating tactics and all of that stuff with uh, Nick Fury and Loki, and then also the action that's happening with Hulk and uh, Black Widow and the the Incredible Hulk storyline. I just feel like that's another thing that maybe like looks fine, you know, when you're plotting something out, but there's something about the execution, something about the editing, the the choices of. The, like the flow of the episode just sort of felt off to me. And I don't know if I'm being like super nitpicky or if you felt that as well.
1: No, I definitely agree. I, and that was one of the things that frustrated me as well. And I would have preferred if they almost just like kept doing what they were doing, where it was almost like, you know, episodic moments within the episode, where I was like, okay, here's the Thor stuff. Here's the Hulk stuff. Here's, you know, this and just keep it separate. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, yeah it, it was, it was clear they were trying something and they thought, oh no, this will be like a cool juxtaposition. And it's like, no, it's just messy guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I was reading the uh, the Wikipedia summary of this episode, and it says, um, uh, Thor's brother Loki arrives in New Mexico and confronts Fury about Thor's death, taking out a shield team with the casket of ancient winters, a- as if I'm supposed to know what that is. <laughs> so I, the casket of ancient winters has its own Wikipedia uh, entry, and it's described as an, a- an Asgardian relic and the greatest weapon of Malekith the Accursed. Uh, when opened, it can reproduce the infinite icy cold of niflheim so uh i do not remember this weapon the casket of ancient winters being utilized by malekith the accursed in uh thor the dark world when that character showed up uh, maybe i'm just blocking out my memories of Thor: the dark world but this seemed like sort of a new thing to me am i misremembering anything here brad um i remember it being something that was
1: like linked to like the frost giants right Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, Uh, I I think it was like a big thing in the first Thor movie. I don't remember uh, Malekith wielding it unless it was something that he wielded like (laughs) way far in the past, like before or something. Yeah, Maybe
0: maybe he just wields it in the comics and not necessarily in the movies. Yeah, Um, I think so. That could be possible. So anyway, I just basically just wanted to say the phrase "casket of ancient winters" on this episode. So as long as we got that <laughs> out there, we're good. Um, so I have to say, Brad, one of my favorite visuals of this entire episode was the Incredible Hulk. Uh, the Incredible Hulk exploding. Um, yeah, that, you mentioned being surprised by something earlier, and that was the biggest surprise to me. I was like, "Wow, they're really going there." I mean, they didn't go like full gore to show exactly what happened, but um, that visual of him just like you know, hulking out and then getting bigger and bigger is just, uh, there's something really horrifying about that. Yeah, I had, I had like a split woman thing. I was like, oh, how is this going to look
1: when they he actually blows up? And it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, so there's a big poofy green cloud of like gas, I guess. But man, yeah, for a second, I was like, are they just going to blow him into chunks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: um, okay, so as the, the episode goes on, uh, Nick Fury sort of has a, a crisis of conscience as he realizes, you know, what's going on. He, he tries to figure out like, what the hell he can do? Coulson is there. Um, there's a couple good little Coulson jokes, like the, the moment when we learn what his password is, which sort of seems like an easy joke, but you know, you sort of you yeah. expect that. Uh, there's
1: a, I feel like there's a lot of easy jokes in the show. The the humor is not up to snuff when it comes to to Marvel's writing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but Fury, like, goes out to his car and realizes that, like, there's another asset that he can utilize here, which is Captain Marvel, but he doesn't call her at that moment, even though Loki has amassed an army, you know, on this planet. Uh, I guess he thinks at this point, you know, maybe I can, as long as I can find the the killer, you know, Thor's killer, uh, then maybe... I can deal with Loki on my own and I won't need Captain Marvel's help here. Um, He ends up calling her, you know, by, by episodes end anyway, because of what Loki ends up doing. But um, yeah, I don't know. I was just sort of, I'm constantly uh, amused, I guess would be the word as as like, as to how across the entire MCU uh, decisions are made, about where and when to, to pull people in from wherever they are, you know, like what, how, uh, like what, what, um, threats constitute, uh, you know, threat levels that warrant pulling in different Avengers or whatever. Um, and, and all of it, of course, makes sense when you think of it from like a macro production level of like, oh, well, they can't afford to bring all of these actors in every single time. You don't want to make this, uh, seem like a bigger deal than it actually is. Everybody has to have their own solo movies, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, just from a, like a, if this world actually existed and this group, the Avengers actually existed, you would think that they would work together a lot more than they they actually do in, in the way that these stories, uh, sort of dictate. So, um, the, the graveyard sequence at the end, Brad, where the murder mystery is sort of unfurled, the, the. Answers come together. What did you think about the the, the reveal about who the murderer was?
1: Uh, I was definitely surprised, um, and I was impressed by Michael Douglas's performance. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you would expect an a- actor of his caliber to maybe phone something like this in, but he really kind of uh, went crazy with it and sounded completely unhinged. And yeah. it was also helped by you know that scraggly bearded animation they did for him that just makes him look like a wild-eyed madman. <laughs>
0: yeah his the eyebrow work uh, <laughs> yeah i really want to shout that out they did a great job and that does a lot of heavy lifting for for uh this you know sort of yeah like you said unhinged version of the character
1: yeah and i'm interested too but if like if they're going to dig into what happened to uh hope if there's going to be any explanation or exploration of of that um and if there's any you know other impact that that story will have, other than obviously, you know, Hank Pym killing all, almost all of the Avengers. So uh, this this episode like made me the most curious as to how this series kind of moves forward. You know, whether it's um, the kind of anthology series where they will carry threads from each episode into like um, either a culmination of something within a season or keep certain threads going uh, for future seasons, because the um ac bradley the head writer um and director brian andrews have talked about how captain carter will be kind of the crux of the series and she'll reappear in uh every season of what if as, as long as they're doing it so her story you know will continue and so i'm wondering if like there'll be if characters will carry over in a serial way w- where the series is kind of a hybrid anthology and you know serial uh narrative story
0: yeah. One of the things that I've been really impressed with, and, and you know, I'm not the first person to make this observation is that the, how Marvel has, um, has been able to sort of introduce ideas that people, uh, that like general audiences can, can, uh, follow like the concept of a multiverse, right? That, that's something that like, uh, that we would call nerd ass shit, uh, you know, several years ago, but now is, is becoming mainstreamed in the DC universe, in the Marvel universe. Um, you know, people like general audiences are aware of this stuff and like able to comprehend and understand because of the, the uh, track that Marvel has laid leading up to this point. So I'm wondering, like, you know, along the same lines of what you just mentioned, if if, for example, the threads that um, that are left open, the loose ends in this episode are revisited in season two. Um, you know, there will be a lot of different versions of universes and character dynamics and, uh, different takes on these characters that will, that audiences will have seen between right now and when season two eventually comes out. So I'm just like, is it even possible to pick up, um, you know, the story threads, uh, a year down the line, I can understand within the same season, right? Like the, the idea of Captain Carter, uh, coming back and, and maybe like, um, exploring Peter Quill, you know, the Dairy Queen version of Peter Quill later in this season, because people will have just seen these episodes and they'll still be fresh on their mind. But there's the, the premise of the show, I feel like sort of works against um, that sort of narrative specificity that Marvel has been so good at, um, and and narrative like um, clarity that Marvel has been so good at, at establishing. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think that's fair, and that's that's also what makes me think that maybe that as the, this season goes on, maybe they'll lean more into the idea of having several different universes branch into each other, so that there is some level of continuity to mm. follow along, um, while still maybe having you know. Seemingly standalone stories here and there, even if they gradually end up connecting somewhere else. Um, yeah, because yeah, I think you're right. There's the potential to where like too many different alternate versions of characters and things that don't quite match up, and you you risk you know actually confusing audiences as, as opposed to having you know that that ab- the ability to clearly explain like here's why this happens and why this version of this character exists and how the multiverse works. You know, and this this almost it could be on the verge of being a little too complex.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Um, So, uh, you know, uh, the episode basically wraps up with, uh, with Hank Pym sort of being brought to justice and uh, then Loki, I guess, pulling a Loki and and deciding that he wants to rule this planet anyway. Um, The imagery here, I feel like is straight out of, you know, like a Armageddon or like a a 90s uh, Michael Bay movie or something where it's like, he's at the UN and he's giving a a speech to the world and you see like Times Square and all these people huddled around the TV and then like the, uh, the White House with Loki's army out front and um, so I thought that sort of imagery was with that the, like visual shorthand that audiences are familiar with. It was pretty well done. Uh, there, there's this moment where um, Fury and Coulson are standing in like a, a giant airplane hangar or something. And they have all the caskets of the Avengers. And each one has like a, uh, a logo engraved on it. And I'm like, what is this, Justice League? Like, That's exactly what? what I thought too.
1: I was like, I was like that, that, it, it made me think immediately. It's like, okay, so they had someone go and design these <laughs> logos just to commemorate the death of these characters. That weren't even superheroes yet,
0: yeah, it's so weird um that was a, a really i mean i guess I guess the alternative would just be to have them stand in front of blank caskets, but like that would make more sense i don't I don't know or, it was even, a strange or, even, choice. or
1: even just have like the names on, them.
0: yeah, or a photo or something, yeah. But uh yeah it just seemed like a lot of work <laughs> when i do that on somebody I'm, I'm wondering like yeah who is the shield agent that had to uh yeah like just... laser etch uh, <laughs> a
1: design <laughs> and then his... and then some graphic designer desk jockey was like hey we need these symbols for these caskets it's like uh, <laughs> all right <laughs> yeah
0: um so then yeah like you mentioned you know captain marvel comes back uh the episode really ends with with fury like uh i, I don't know where he is exactly where he like walks out of that um That's a facility. And then it just flashes to him in what appears to be an icy underground area. And he sees Captain America's shield. And I don't remember, it's been so long since I've seen Captain America, the first Avenger. Did the United States know, do you remember off the top of your head, Brad, if, if the US knew where Cap went down in that plane crash and like constructed some sort of protective apparatus around that crash site. So um, I think what, if I remember
1: correctly, what happened is um, it was, it was discovered um, by somebody who was doing some kind of work, like out in the middle of the Arctic, you know, cause mm-hmm. it, had, it had iced over. And uh, when, when it was discovered, shield was alerted and then they went and they dug into it. And I think that they were able to create like a makeshift kind of, not facility, but like a temporary base as they dug inside because they were trying to figure out what to do and probably how to get him out properly. Uh, so I think that that's probably what that space is.
0: Okay. Um, so yeah, like him, you know, putting his hand on the ice and saying "Welcome back, Captain," and then the camera sort of pans over and Captain Marvel is standing right there. I think I, I don't know if there's if that's supposed to be like some sort of clever like uh, misdirection of expectations or something because um, we didn't see him actually, uh, you know, utilize that that beeper and, and call her. So I don't know if that's supposed to be like a, a big reveal or something. Um, it just, yeah, I think it was meant to be just like a little cheeky thing. Like, like, Oh, Captain America, but Oh wait, Captain Marvel's here too. Yeah.
1: Two captains <laughs> for the price of one.
0: Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, I felt like it, the episode ended on a bit of a dud cause that wasn't, if it was meant to be a big surprise, then I wasn't super surprised if it was meant to be a fun thing. Like it wasn't that fun. Cause we didn't really get to see Captain Marvel do anything. So I, I just felt like, Oh, that—that's it. Okay, the episode's over now. Whereas, like, I actually enjoyed, you know, uh, most of the episode because of the murder mystery aspect and the the unique way that that um, Hank Pym was able to uh, to kill all these people in in like different ways using his size, obviously, his his abilities. But um, yeah, I, I really like the the uh, Hawkeye thing where like he basically like got in between his fingers and like expanded slightly, and that's how he was able to to sort of misfire that weapon. Um, yeah, and. And uh, man, just like thinking right now, I forgot how he killed Hawkeye, which I think you see a shot of him like emerging from his ear at one point. So I wonder if he just like, you know, bounced around in his brain like a pinball or something like we I don't think we saw exactly what, you know, what he did to uh, to murder Clint Barton there. But um yeah. Anyway, uh, I thought that was all clever and well done. And then, yeah, the episode just sort of ends. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, there we go. Another episode of What If. So uh, I don't know if you have any other like additional speculation, Brad. I, I know we've sort of said a couple things uh, over the course of this episode about how things may uh, link up to other stuff in the future. But um, were there any other loose ends or, or sort of uh, plot threads that you thought might come back or anything like that
1: no not yet you know i just just, again i i just remain my the biggest driving force for me for this series and the reason that like you know i'll keep watching other than it's my responsibility for work um (laughs) is that like i am interested to see how this this progresses into what i believe will be something that's you know a little bit more worth like discussing in depth and it's and it's because of that that tease of seeing, you know, a certain mix of characters together as this kind of new assembly of Avengers. And I just, I hope that they're able to do something as cool in this animated world as they did with the, the Marvel cinematic universe um, by having that first assembly of the Avengers after phase one of the the MCU was done. Uh, Cause I think it would be cool for them to be able to like culminate in something like this. And do it in kind of a similar fashion that they did with that, that first phase, because even though the, those movies and um, you know, in phase one, they, they, they were clearly leading to the Avengers because of that credit scene in Iron Man, mm-hmm. but they all kind of stood on their own pretty well. There was a little bit of interconnectivity as far as, um just certain characters crossing over and having, you know, being involved, like Colson and Fury and that kind of thing. But otherwise the movies worked pretty well on their own. That's changed a little bit as the Marvel Cinematic Universe has become more intertwined, you know, with each other and characters cross over more often and kind of influence each other's narratives. Um so I, I think that this kind of gradual build is is interesting, even though I kind of wish they would show their cards a little bit more to get people a little bit more excited. Cause I think that it's uh the hype isn't necessarily as big as it normally would be for another kind of Marvel series. Yeah. So I, I hope that it reaches something where people like are like, Oh, okay. That sounds cool. And then they'll tune in and see what it's all about.
0: So how pissed would you be, Brad, if that shot of the alternate Avengers is actually not in this show and it was just used in the marketing, like, you know, some of the shots for infinity war and Endgame and stuff. Oh my God. That would be infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so last thing before we go, were there any Easter eggs that you noticed? Because like I, I remember you guys, you and Peter talking about like the uh, the Milano was renamed the Mandela and thing, little things that people may not have noticed. Because I didn't really, I was I was keeping what I considered to be a pretty good eye out for stuff like that, and I just completely did not see a single little fun Easter egg that was not you know super obvious
1: yeah i didn't i didn't really notice anything like that either i i um i wasn't necessarily carefully looking at i was kind of just keeping up with it and just seeing if there were any other like interesting narrative details or just stuff like that to notice um but yeah everything that like was a reference to marvel movie stuff seemed pretty obvious and and straightforward
0: okay all right so yeah a little bit of an underwhelming end but you know i guess a quasi-underwhelming episode hopefully that the show uh improves uh, as we go on and yeah maybe it links together and, and sort of builds that importance that you were talking about and gives it a little bit more of a, a weighty feel as, as we get uh you know further into the series here so uh you can find more about what if and, and the marvel cinematic universe and a ton of other stuff at the newly launched slash We we launched the new version of the site yesterday finally after much uh, to do. And yeah. um, I think it looks great. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited that, that people will be able to load the site really fast and have it look great on their phones and everything. So um, check out slashfilm.com. If you're just like a, a listener to the show and you don't visit the website too often, uh, check it out right now because maybe this new look will be enough, uh, hopefully will, will be enough to convince you to uh, to bookmark it and actually go there and, and click around a bunch. So uh, yes, you can find that, all, all of that stuff at slashfilm.com. Slash SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns, and mailbag topics, and feedback about uh, this episode of What If to us at Peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. If you and your team want to cut down on busy work and get more choice and control over accounts payable, you need Bill. Bill Accounts Payable is your secret weapon for saving time on AP. And with a special offer at bill.com slash podcast, you'll save money too. With Bill, streamline your entire AP process including bill creation, approvals, and payments. You can pay with ACH, credit card, check, and international wire transfer. Plus, you can easily integrate with most accounting software. No wonder hundreds of thousands of businesses are already using Bill to manage their AP. Schedule a free demo now to see how Bill can automate your financial operations. And right now, get 15% off when you subscribe to Bill Accounts Payable. There's never been a better time to sign up. This special offer is available for a limited time only at bill.com slash podcast. Terms apply. See bill.com slash podcast for details.